Before we begin, I'd like to offer a correction for a factual error I made in the previous mini-episode, The Grammy Experiment 1994. For 1984's Album of the Year, when Purple Rain, She's So Unusual, Born in the USA, and Private Dancer were all nominees, the Grammy that night did not go to Toto 4. It went to Lionel Richie for Can't Slow Down. Toto had won for the previous year, and for all I know, were totally deserving. But the basic principle of my argument, I believe, still holds true. Prince, Cindy Lauper, Bruce Springsteen, and Tina Turner's classic albums all give Lionel Richie and Can't Slow Down a good kick in the pants, and, in my opinion, were better representatives of what was happening in the year 1984. I do not apologize to Lionel Richie whom I'm fairly certain is not at all concerned. Welcome to mini-episode number four of Let's Talk Ten. I'm Dan Fisher. For our previous mini, The Grammy Experiment, 1994, I looked at Tony Bennett's Album of the Year Grammy for MTV Unplugged discussing whether, in my opinion, it really was worthy of that consideration in a year that gave us landmark albums by such artists as Nas, Portishead, Nine Inch Nails, and TLC. This compelled my brain to stick around that era for a little while longer, to March 27, 1995 specifically. For the 67th Annual Academy Awards, David Letterman! When the Motion Picture Academy of Arts and Sciences held its awards ceremony, infamously hosted that night by David Letterman, Uma? Oprah? To honor what it had designated as the outstanding films and performances of 1994. If you listen to that Grammy Experiment mini-episode, there's no need for me to repeat how silly and misguided the Oscars and all awards shows really are, even if they do help somewhat in establishing a timeline for pop culture history. I still love watching the Oscars more than any other awards show. Maybe it's an old habit that I just can't shake, like tuning in every year to watch the Super Bowl. Call me a passive slave to media hype if you'd like. I won't fight you. We all know that it's pretty rare for the actual best motion picture of any given year to win the Best Picture Oscar, right? Citizen Kane lost out to How Green Was My Valley in 1942, and nobody these days seems to express much affection for 1989's Driving Miss Daisy or 2005's Crash. One of the great things about the Oscars is that, for a brief time every year, almost everybody is talking about and arguing about movies and how the Academy usually gets it all wrong. If you're one of these people who gets into this stuff, I highly recommend an indispensable book that was written on the subject. Alternate Oscars by Danny Peary, who I consider one of the best living writers about film. And whether I'm paying loving homage to Mr. Peary or totally ripping off his concept, and if he were to ever listen to this show, I could only hope that he'd recognize my intentions as being the former. 
Today, I'd like to set up another possibly recurring segment for Let's Talk Ten's mini-episodes, My Parallel Universe Oscars, in this case, for the year 1994. Because what could be more relevant than to bitch and moan publicly about a nearly 30-year-old awards show? Surely my listeners have been every bit as bothered about this as I've been. I was 1994 was not quite an all-time year for cinema, not like 1939 or 1974, Godfather Part Two, or 1982. But it was a time when the big studios would still finance medium-budget, character-based stories, no superheroes required, while the business of releasing independent films was more lucrative than ever. I'd argue that many of the notable films released in 1994 were worthy candidates for Academy Award consideration, though none of these were Best Picture nominees. The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, Backbeat, Bullets Over Broadway, Just watch. Don't Speak, Brooklyn, Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, Ed Wood, Heavenly Creatures, Hoop Dreams, when I was young, when I was little, that's all I used to think about the NBA. The Hudsucker Proxy. You know, for kids. The Last Seduction. It can be very nice when I try. The Lion King. Little Women. The Madness of King George. Nobody's Fool. You're my best friend, okay? Speed. Everybody hold on! And Wyatt Earp. Twenty-five Oscars were handed out that evening. For brevity's sake, I think we should just focus on the three biggies. The real-world nominees for Best Actress that year were... Jodie Foster in Nell. <laughs> Jessica Lange in Blue Sky. Miranda Richardson in Tom and Viv. Winona Ryder in Little Women. Susan Sarandon in The Client. And the Oscar goes to Jessica Lange in Blue Sky. Here's who I'm knocking off the list. Jodie Foster. She's always great, but the movie and her role in it are laughably typical of gimmicky Oscar bait. Miranda Richardson. S. Eliot is the greatest living poet in the English language. I admit I've never seen Tom and Viv, but we all know how much Oscar loves when actors dress up as famous folks from history, throw in a British accent, and you've got a decent shot at a nomination. And you can tell everybody how you trample the constitutional rights of an 11-year-old. I'm rescinding Susan Sarandon's nomination. Like Jodie Foster, she's incapable of giving a bad performance, but this nomination just feels like a fill-in-the-blank in a year that I wish had offered more interesting roles for women. My Parallel Universe Oscar nominees for Best Actress of 1994 are Jessica Lange, Blue Sky, Bridget Bardot strips for millions, she's a goddess. I sunbathe topless and I'm a scared. 
Melanie Linsky, Heavenly Creatures. Everything was full of peace and bliss. We then realized we had the key. Winona Ryder, Little Women. Oh, Teddy, I'm not fashionable enough for London. Need someone who's elegant and refined. Kate Winslet, Heavenly Creatures. I don't know if you've noticed, Mrs. Collins, but I've actually drawn St. George in the likeness of the world's greatest tenor, Mario Lanza. Jessica Lang's win in this category has always felt like a makeup award for having lost out in 1982 for Francis to Meryl Streep for Sophie's Choice, who nobody could have beaten. The solution for Poland's Jewish problem, he concludes, is the Fernichtung. Extermination. I've always liked Winona Ryder. In Little Women, she's subtle and naturalistic, and heartbreaking too. I'd even considered giving the award to both Melanie Linsky and Kate Winslet in a historic tie for Heavenly Creatures. But my Parallel Universe Oscar for the best performance given by an actress in any film released that year goes to Linda Farentino for The Last Seduction. After years of working in some interesting films like After Hours and The Moderns, but too often relegated to the girlfriend parts and schlockier stuff, Linda Farentino took her femme fatale opportunity in John Dahl's Modern Noir, and she made the utmost of it. Never chewing scenery, but not at all afraid to go to dark and sometimes detestable places. It's a performance that you might have seen from Barbara Stanwyck or even Betty Davis if there had never been a Hayes Code. Suppose I let you off with a warning this time. Suppose it doesn't take. Suppose I have to whack you over the knuckles. The Academy's nominees for Best Actor were... Morgan Freeman in The Shawshank Redemption. Tom Hanks in Forrest Gump. Nigel Hawthorne in The Madness of King George. Paul Newman in Nobody's Fool. John Travolta in Pulp Fiction. And the Oscar goes to Tom Hanks and Forrest Gump. I'm making only one cut here. Nigel Hawthorne as King George. He's fine, and I remember liking the movie, but it too is the nearly satirical definition of Oscar bait. Hawthorne's as big as the part needed him to be. Must! Must! Whose must is this? Your must or my must? Get away from me, you scabby bumsucker! <laughs> Linkage and lick fingers! But I had to bump somebody to include Terence Stamp for The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. He played the transgender Bernadette, for which I'm, of course, aware of the controversy regarding cisgender actors playing trans parts. But Priscilla was a big deal at the time, and I believe that it did do its share to bring positive portrayals of LGBTQ characters to mainstream audiences in its time. It's a funny movie, but it took its characters seriously as flesh-and-blood, soulful human beings 
especially in Terence Stamp's tough but vulnerable Bernadette. I can only fight because I've learned to. Being a man one day and a woman the next is not an easy thing to do. I'd strongly considered Samuel L. Jackson for Pulp Fiction, and if I'd nominated him, he might have even won. You're the weak, and I am the tyranny of evil men. But I'm trying, Ringo. I'm trying real hard to be the shepherd. But his screen time as Jules Winfield was nearly half as that of John Travolta as Vincent Vega. So if I were to have established a parallel universe supporting actor Oscar, Samuel L. Jackson would definitely be nominated. Though he still wouldn't win, because no way would I give that Oscar to anybody but Martin Landau as Bella Lugosi in Ed Wood. A great star like you, you must have dozens of them lined up. Back in the old days, yes. Now no one gives two fucks for a bail. But I'm keeping everybody else. So besides Terrence Stamp, the other parallel universe Oscar nominees for Best Actor of 1994 are Morgan Freeman, The Shawshank Redemption. I look back on the way I was then, a young, stupid kid who committed that terrible crime. Tom Hanks, Forrest Gump. Sometimes it would stop raining long enough for the stars to come out and Then it was nice. John Travolta, Pulp Fiction. But you know the funniest thing about Europe is? What? It's the little differences. I mean, they got the same shit over there that they got here, but it's just, just there, it's a little different. It's now considered cool to claim you've always hated Forrest Gump, but somebody liked that movie in 1994, and I still do, unapologetically. And the only actor capable of bringing that sweetness to the title character without making him insufferable, was Tom Hanks. John Travolta, who in my parallel universe won 1977's Best Actor Oscar for Saturday Night Fever's Tony Manero. You know, I work on my hair a long time and you, and you hit it. He hits my hair. Obviously wouldn't need for me to give him my parallel universe Oscar for Pulp Fiction. And it took the Shawshank Redemption, maybe the ultimate sleeper hit, to remind the world that Morgan Freeman is a treasure. I mean, just that voice. But I'm going to give the Parallel Universe Oscar for Best Actor in a Motion Picture to Paul Newman for Nobody's Fool. I remember liking Nobody's Fool a lot, and I bet I still would if I watched it again especially Newman's performance. It's one of those autumn of his years parts that befits true legends like Newman or his friend Robert Redford. But I'll be honest, we all knew at that point that Newman wouldn't have that many roles left for his career. So like other longtime Oscar shutouts like Henry Fonda or Jessica Tandy, it was his time. A sentimental award? Sure. I'm sentimental. Sue me. But wait a minute. Didn't Newman already win in 1986 for The Color of Money? The winner is Paul Newman. Not in my parallel universe, I'm afraid. I've always liked The Color of Money, but I've never loved it. And though Newman was, of course, terrific in it, it was the flashier Tom Cruise character who was, frankly, 
more interesting than Marty Scorsese's rebooted version of 1963's Fast Eddie Felsen. Plus, in that same year, Bob Hoskins came from out of nowhere as the star of Neil Jordan's Mona Lisa, playing a low-level hood recently released from prison who forms an intense bond with a young prostitute. I didn't ask to drive you around. I was given you, same as you was given me. The only difference is you complain on I don't. Turn it off. No. You asked me, turn it off. But you asked me to buy clothes, I buy them. But you make remarks. Anybody ever teach you manners? Hoskins would reward us with consistently wonderful work until his passing in 2014. In my parallel universe, it was Bob Hoskins, not Paul Newman, who took home 1986's Oscar for Best Performance by an Actor in a Motion Picture. Newman, who hadn't even shown up the night of his real-world victory, would have to wait eight more parallel universe years, when, with the powers that I claim as the creator of this universe, I would finally bequeath to one of the greatest movie stars of all time what should have been given to him decades ago. And finally, we come to the big one, Best Picture. Unlike the real-life Oscars, I won't bore you with the obligatory cheesy musical numbers or celebrities stiffly reading jokes off cue cards. Here, we get our business taken care of in under 22 minutes. So, without further ado, the Motion Picture Academy's real-world nominees for Best Picture of 1994 were... Forrest Gump. Four Weddings and a Funeral. Pulp Fiction. A Quiz Show. The Shawshank Redemption. And the Oscar goes to... Forrest Gump. I personally had no problem with any of these five films being nominated. There's not a loser in the bunch. And it's not that I'm removing Four Weddings and a Funeral from the list just because it's a lightweight romantic comedy. That actually works in its favor, because I love romantic comedies, and I'm quite aware of how difficult it is to pull off a good one. My biggest beef with Quiz Show, when I first saw it in 1994 and now, is Northern Exposure star Rob Morrow, who was terribly miscast here by director Robert Redford, playing the lawyer investigating the television quiz show scandals of the 1950s. He's just out of his league against acting heavyweights Rafe Fine and John Turturro, throwing off the balance of the entire movie. And that Boston accent, which I won't even attempt to mock, in and of itself would be enough justification to disqualify quiz show in my parallel universe. He says, and I quote, that he was made to take a dive. It also happens that there are two other movies that I simply consider superior to either Four Weddings and a Funeral or Quiz Show. For what it's worth, and we should all know by now how much that is, here are my parallel universe Oscar nominees for the Best Motion Picture of 1994. Ed Wood. Forrest Gump. Hoop Dreams, The Shawshank Redemption. Like the real-world Oscars themselves, 
We're running long now, so no more lengthy explanations for my choices. All four of these movies are ones that I'll return to every now and then, even Forrest Gump. And if you ever get tired of repeat viewings of Shawshank on cable TV, I highly recommend checking out either Ed Wood, which I consider Tim Burton's best movie, or Hoop Dreams, a documentary about high school basketball players that runs for nearly three hours, but seems half as long. Anyway, before the orchestra plays me off my own stage, my choice for what truly was the most interesting, most cinematic, most influential, and best picture of 1994 is... Pulp Fiction. The auteur himself bounds up to the stage where he'd already won Best Director a half hour earlier. In his trademark rapid-fire, too-much-coffee acceptance speech, Quentin very humbly explains in meticulous detail why Pulp Fiction was in fact the most outstanding achievement in motion pictures for the year 1994, making reference, all in the same run-on sentence, to Sam Peckinpah, Count Chocula, Dolomite, Val Luton, Danny Bonaducci, and going on to list Jackie Chan's entire filmography. That speech would then go on and on as he'd shout over the orchestra, ignoring all entreaties to wrap it up. This was his night, damn it. Until the TV credits rolled and the broadcast faded to black. Please join me again next Monday for the next regular episode of Let's Talk 10 with a new guest and a new top 10 list. It'll be fun. I always appreciate your listening. See you soon. <laughs>